Hofstra's morning wake-up call. Morning wake-up call. Lively talk. Long Island life. National news. International issues. Through the minds and mouths of Hofstra students. You're listening to the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call only on 88.7 FM Radio Hofstra University. All thoughts and opinions stated here on the Hofstra Morning Wake Up Call do not reflect the views of 88.7 FM WRHU and its management, Hofstra University, as well as its board of trustees. All contrasting views can be sent to programming at WRHU.org or to 111 Hofstra University, Hempstead, New York, 11549. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Hofstra's Morning Wake-Up Call on 88.7 FM Radio, Hofstra University. We're broadcasting live today from the Richard Philip Kevlar studio, as always. Welcome to the Monday and best edition of the Hofstra Morning Wake-Up Call, where we're talking about Long Island life, national news, and international issues. I am one of your hosts, Lindsay Hill, joined today by my producer and co-host, the one, the only, Luke Farrell. Today, we'll be discussing a bunch of things, you know, we got a pretty good first story and interview coming up, uh, and then we have just some nice local stories to bring it home at the end. Luke, how was your weekend? You know, it's been pretty good. It's good to have L squared today. This yes. is a new uh, mm-hmm. new environment for that. Uh, I had a pretty good weekend. I moved into Vanderpool, uh, so Very that was nice. a big deal because SRA training starts Wednesday, so I have to get ready for that. Uh, otherwise, kind of sat around, you know, got my stuff together. I have an Appa pillow pet now, so I'm very happy about Appa, that. Like Appa from Avatar? Oh, yeah. Very we nice. had a gift exchange for orientation, and so I got an Appa pillow pet and an Iro Funko Pop. So, oh, it, so was, cool. it was pretty good. How, how was your weekend? What uh, what'd you do around there? Um, my weekend was pretty good. Um, sorry, I'm a little distracted right now. My Google Chrome just decided to quit, so I don't have the dock for today up again, but that's fine. We'll get it back up. Um, but my weekend was pretty good. Uh, some of you may know our community volunteer, Eileen. She runs a Long Ireland show. I accompanied her yesterday to the uh, Irish American Center in Mineola uh, for one of their events, and it was quite. It was a lot of fun. You got to hear a lot of Irish music. You saw some dancing. There was good food. Lots of fun people. Um, so that was a lot of fun. So if you ever hear that there's a uh, event happening at the uh, Irish Center, maybe check it out. If it's for you, if it's for you. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what I did this weekend. I actually went to the uh, Irish Heritage Festival. This was, gosh, a long time ago um, for Hofstra, and they actually had it in like the Physical Education Center. Yeah. I saw my last name in like one of the areas. I was like, oh, maybe I should go there one time. Very nice. Um, so, I, yeah. I look more Irish than I actually am, so that's kind of what got me in there. My uh, my family's it's it's Irish, German, and my grandfather actually emig- emigrated from Norway, so wow. it's more, more so Norway than anything else. Wow, yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Okay. Luke, shall we take it into our first story for today? We shall take it in because we have someone waiting on the line. We don't want to keep them waiting we too long. Um, but uh, as anybody would know, uh, late Friday, uh, the search warrant for property receipt uh, for the search on former President Donald Trump's estate at Mar-a-Lago uh, was released, detailing that the FBI had found 11 boxes worth of material uh, that included some classified and other sensitive material uh, at the estate. Uh, here to talk about the search and what the impact is, is our friend Dr. Mina uh, the Executive Dean for Public Policy and Public Service Programs at the Calico School, Director of the Calico Center for the American Presidency, and Professor of Political Science right here at Hofstra University. Dr. Bose, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I am fine, Luke. Thank you. It's so nice to hear both of you. As, as I'm listening to you talk about your weekends, I'm reminded that the fall semester is almost here and how exciting it will be to have the campus busy again. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's something we're definitely excited about, too too, because being here over the summer and having an empty campus is kind of, it's lonely for a little bit, except for Luke, he got to do orientation, but for me, I was just here. (laughs) Um, It's kind of peaceful, right? There's something about summer that's very nice, but then when you start getting the fall energy, and I can tell you both as we're kind of confirming events for the coming year, it is going to be a busy fall semester and year, so there's just a lot to look forward to, and um, and fortunate that you uh, that you're moved in. If you, uh, I heard Luke say that if you're uh, if you're all set, then you can avoid some traffic uh, in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. So, anyways, we have a pretty serious top- topic yes. to talk about today. Um, but first off, could you just tell our listeners a bit about yourself and the work you do? 
Oh, sure. Yes, happy to do so. Um, my name is Mina Bose. I direct, as, as uh, you kindly introduced me, Luke kindly introduced me, uh, the executive, um, I'm the executive dean for the Public Policy and Public Service Program at Hofstra, and I direct the Peter S. Calico Center for the Study of the American Presidency. Those are both in the Peter S. Calico uh, um, School of Government, Public Policy, and International Affairs. And I teach courses on the presidency and American politics. Um, uh, I taught the American presidency in spring 2020 and um, Luke was one of my students, and little did I think more than a year later that we would be talking about archival records and a question of presidential classification, but um, it just shows, continues to show how contemporary um, the study of the presidency as a political institution is today. And I know, Dr. Bose, you actually mentioned all, everything about the uh, National uh, Archives and Records Administration over there for any archival uh, information for the presidency. So if you just want to give a brief history or whatnot uh, of the Presidential Records Act itself, um, and how does it necessarily affect uh, former President Trump in that instance? Sure. Happy to do so, Luke. Well, so uh, the premise of the Presidential Records Act of 1978 is that or the, the, the simple uh, kind of purpose is to um, protect uh, to uh, protect all government records and to um, and establishes a process for ensuring that records during a presidency will be kept under government regulation security supervision presidential records are government property not private property. This dates back to the Nixon administration. Before the Nixon presidency, actually, presidents did have control of their papers. They took them with them. Um, the, we have presidential libraries under the National Archives from Herbert Hoover onward. And typically, what, what presidents would do when they left office, um, they would take their papers, they would work with the National Archives to create a presidential library that was built through donations, but then would be administered by the National Archives. Now, when uh, Richard Nixon uh, had a conflict over the Watergate break-in, over the uh, cover-up of that break-in within the White House. Um, Nixon maintained that his presidential records, including secret tape recordings in the White House, were his private property. The Supreme Court ruled unanimously, 8-0, to zero, in the summer of 1974. William Rehnquist sat out because he had worked in the Nixon administration before um, being appointed to the uh, Supreme Court Justice, that, um, that the tapes were that presidents do not have an absolute right of executive privilege and that the tapes were public property. And since then, um, and of course that led to the release of the tapes, Nixon's resignation, and then institutionally, perhaps of great significance here, um, uh, led to the passage of the Presidential Records Act a few years later to administer um, President White House documents, uh, really say presidential, all documents relating to a presidency, and ensure that they are protected um, under the uh, that they are the property of the government and overseen by the National Archives. Now, this raid kind of came out of nowhere. It kind of shocked a lot of people, and it had us thinking: like, what precedence is there for a former president to be investigated at this level? Well, you know that's. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a good question and it's an inter I'm kind of hesitating as I respond to this because it came out of nowhere in public view but in fact as we've been learning over the past week this um has been simmering since the spring this dispute over records that um Donald Trump took when he left the White House has been underway since the spring of 2021 um, and so this has been really uh, going on now for more than a year to deter a uh, question between the National Archives um, or interactions between the National Investigation from the National Archives um, since just a few months after Donald Trump left uh, the White House as to whether certain documents were missing. Um, and you may have read there, there, there were certain things they found that um, they didn't have letters 
between correspondence between former President Trump and the North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. There was a um, there was a Weather Service map um, that uh, Trump had marked up with a sharpie pen. Um, they couldn't find that, and so under presidential records, these are of course all government records and archives. This initially started as kind of a discussion between former President Trump's office and the National Archives, and went back and forth, did not receive the documents. Eventually, the National Archives um, actually said that this would have to be escalated to Congress or the Justice Department. In early Earlier this year, um, there were some 15 boxes of documents that were taken from Mar-a-Lago. Um, the Trump office agreed to permit that, and they were sent up to the National Archives. But um, the archivists found that, or, that uh, those records still appeared to be incomplete. And that ultimately, from January to last week to August, led to the series of events that um, permitted the search warrant to, uh, to take the boxes. So I know that's a long answer, but when we say that it seemingly came out of nowhere. This has actually been an investigation for more than a year now, starting with the National Archives and then later turning to the Justice Department when it was clear that discussions with um, former President Trump's office were not sufficient to ensure that um, that to confirm that all classified materials had been delivered to the National Archives as they are legally required to be. Now, just kind of as a follow-up question, a lot of people have been bringing up this bill that President, uh, former President Trump signed into law in 2018 um, that actually covers the mishandling of classified information. Um, does that have any basis here for what he's now going through? Well, <laughs> you know, it's interesting um, what is being said about – there's very little um, – there's very little flexibility with with the law and for the president um, with classification. Now, it is true a sitting president can declassify material, um, and, but you can't just assert that. There's a process, and so that's one that's kind of one issue that we're seeing. Then we also have, as you said, as you referred to, the 2018 law that um, actually where uh, President Trump signed, um, signed legislation that would increase the penalties for knowingly removing classified um, material. And that was in, uh, in response to earlier issues with former government officials um, Use, misusing classified data and actually taking material from the National Archives. You had a former national security advisor and a former CIA director. Um, and so the law that uh, President Trump put into that signed to kind of raise the penalty and the, the um, consequences for misusing classified, uh, mishandling classified documents now could be potentially um, be applicable in the current situation now involving now former President Trump. Now, of course, Dr. Mose, whenever anything really big like this happens, all eyes always turn to the next presidential election cycle. So, of course, uh, 2024 uh, coming on up. Uh, so as a lot of Republican candidates are looking to possibly challenge uh, former President Trump in all that sense, where do you see that going uh, in this investigation uh, as Mar-a-Lago increases through there? You know, that is a very interesting question. And, of course, with the midterms um, just three months away, uh, we're a little, you know, it's kind of, it's even more difficult, right, to see, predict what will happen in 2024. But we know, of course, that uh, Donald Trump wants to run again. There seems to be, let's say, at the very least, some dissension within the Republican Party as to whether that is desirable or not. Certainly the former president has a core group of supporters that are, uh, um, I think Trump all the way, but it's not clear that um, that the party will endorse that. And this, um, and and I should just say, without getting distracted into a purely elections discussion at this time, that 2024 will not be 2016 um, for everyone who says, well, 
the party didn't want Trump in 2016 and he won the nomination, it's a very different situation to have a former president. Um, and then without even getting into the particulars of a former president, one of the most contentious presidencies in American history, two presidential impeachments, now this one of several post-presidential investigations, I haven't even discussed January 6th, um, not clear that, um, that Donald Trump will prevail if he runs in 2024. As far as our current discussion today, uh, last week's search um, and the question of whether classified documents were actually kept at Mar-a-Lago um, in violation of the law, this could be consequential for a potential Trump campaign. It's, uh, I guess I would say at this time there's a lot to, um, to consider, a lot to determine. This is a legal process. Um, politically, uh, a former president who would uh, be under investigation um, for potentially violating the Espionage Act, right, um, could, would be um, – it seems like that would be a candidacy that would not move forward. Uh, Donald Trump is certainly not like any other uh, president or presidential candidate, so it's difficult to say. But um, I guess one thing I would say is it certainly doesn't help because there are uh, questions of um, – uh, the legal questions uh, could well lead um, Donald Trump to decide that a second campaign is uh, not a new campaign is not in his interest. But again, very early to say. Now, just one last question and shifting focus now over to the FBI. We've heard cries um, from Trump supporters, both in the general public and in the government, to defund the FBI a little bit. Um, so, what? maybe could be the future for the Justice Department or Department of Justice and like other federal law enforcement agencies after this search with those kind well, of cries. Okay. Sure. That's an excellent question. And it points to a very troubling question because when we when we ask what's in store, well that's up to Congress and the president. Um these are matters of law. a, a, a president can't unilaterally decide <laughs> to defund an agency. And um so I would say it's a non-starter, but what is, is what I would say is even more troubling right now is um, the the concern, the the kind of implicit or sadly at times explicit threats of violence, um, the uh, kind of commentary that um, that people are that agents are not following the law, that this is um, undermining American democracy, when in fact those, um, those comments are actually undermining American democracy. When the rule of law is not upheld by elected officials and former elected officials, um, that's, um, that's dangerous. Uh, the, the situation in Cincinnati where um, a gunman tried to break into the FBI office there. Um, this, this is a danger to American d democracy. Governmental institutions have to be able to function. And if, um, if there's a question about the search warrant, which the Attorney General requested that it be unsealed, uh, former President Trump's office did not oppose that. We know now the reasons for the search. Um, those can be discussed in courts of law, but discussing these uh, issues, suggesting that government agencies are not um, uh, that government agencies are the problem is um, that is probably uh, one of the most serious um, threats that we see today. And I, I think anyone who would say that understates. Um, you just have to look at what happened on January 6th and, um, and realizing that um, we can't uh, – governmental institutions have to do their job, have to be able to perform their job. Um, there can be discussions, but you, you cannot um, – criticizing institutions um, in that way uh, is, is highly uh, – you know, threats of violence, retaliation are highly dangerous.
And Dr. Liz, before we go, any any final words, final thoughts, and then how can our listeners also reach out to you if you have uh, any? Uh, well, I'll just take the second one first. I mean, our uh, students always know they can reach me uh, via email is the quickest way, as you know. And, of course, as soon as the semester begins, I'll be on campus regularly. So looking forward to seeing students in class and at events. Um, I guess, Luke, I would just end with the uh, closing point that we don't think a lot about the National Archives. Um, if you visit presidential libraries, I've taken students in the past, um, there's a research room and then there's a public area. And you don't just get to go to the research room. You have to have, you have, to have a reason, uh, but it's a process. And to um, and anyone who studies the government studies the presidency is well aware of this process. I think I have, still have my first research cards from visit, visiting the Eisenhower and Kennedy libraries in 1993. Um, they were little paper ones. I, it's, the process has changed a little now, but it's and so the removal of classified documents is a serious, serious business. The way we ensure governmental accountability in a democracy is through governmental records. And um, this is not a matter of just forgetting some papers or just mixing something up. Um, this is a serious investigation that needs to move forward uh, to determine what happened and um, whether the records are complete now and what, if any, consequences there should be. Who was responsible and um, and what should happen. That's a long process, um, but it needs to move forward for the integrity of the rule of law and for protecting, for all of us, for protecting American democracy. And once again, that was Dr. Mina Bose, professor here at Hofstra University. Thank you so much again for joining us to speak about oh, this. It was my pleasure. Thank you both. Of course. All right, Luke, we're, uh, we're moving on into uh, another story that I see you actually added an addendum to. Um, with another link, which we'll, we'll talk about later. Um, but our next story is about more Taiwan visits. You know, just just uh, two weeks ago, uh, Speaker Pelosi made a pretty historic visit to Taiwan. She was the highest ranking U.S. official to enter the um, country, territory, uh, in 25 years. D depending uh, on who you ask, country or territory. Uh, yeah. who, depending on who you ask. I, who is the last? It was Newt. Newt, Green, Gingrich, Newt Gingrich, possibly, Gingrich, yes. He was the last person in, what is that, 1997 now? Also, former Speaker of the House. Former so Speaker. There you uh, go. They, they hold those traditions. <laughs> um, but now five members of Congress uh, have gone to the island nation to talk of shared interests. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to start with my first quote that I had here when I was writing my thoughts on this last night. My first quote, exactly word from word, uh, was, um, I don't know if this was a great idea in regards to the tension between Taiwan, Be or Taiwan, Beijing, and the U.S. And then I saw that you added a little addendum that China is announcing new military drills near the island because of this visit. So obviously probably wasn't a great idea in terms of tension, that is. Um, and I have a quote here pulled from your first uh, from your first article that you added, which uh, is by Kurt Campbell, Deputy Assistant to the President Joe Biden. Uh, he said, quote, China has overreacted and its actions continue to be proactive, pro provocative, destabilizing, and unprecedented. And I follow that up with, uh, it, it's pretty clear that China's upset, uh, and it's pretty clear that they've wanted Taiwan to be their territory again, and they've made that clear. So is it really unprecedented and surprising that they're doing this? No. no. They, they've been doing this for a long time, like you said. Granted, obviously, when the, the Communist Party had taken over China, that's when everybody else who was a part of, like, I guess, the other movement that was through there had gone to Taiwan to seek refuge. And so after that, they've been looking for that ever since. Um, obviously, with the South China Sea, you have island nations that are in there that also Vietnam contests to having and everything. And then that causes a roadblock in there. You got the nine dash line. You got the first island chain, second island chain, third island chain, all the island chains in there. Uh, and definitely it's something that is a bigger issue. I mean, obviously, you have a lot of world implications for things like that, um, whether it's with those global superpowers. Um, frankly, I kind of see how China and the U.S. could kind of be in this Cold War scenario a lot of the time, mm -hmm. uh, especially when it comes to things like this. Um, even stuff with North Korea, right? That's always a big issue as well when that comes to play. Uh, and I think... It's a matter of how you deal with the sovereignty of Taiwan. Uh, obviously, these five officials actually led by um, Ed Markey of Massachusetts, yeah. the senator over there. Um, they had gone over to Taiwan, actually met with the president of Taiwan uh, for a meeting on that end. Uh, and granted that it's not going to be in China's uh, favorite spot uh, to do that as well. 
Um, but nevertheless, it was uh, China's foreign ministry spokesperson uh, Wang Wenbin had said that, quote, China will take resolute and strong measures to defend national sovereignty and territorial integrity. Uh, so granted, that is definitely a very open spot uh, in that instance. No, this just and a, a quote further down, it's uh, the, the new exercises were intended to be, quote, resolute response and solemn deterrent against collusion and provo provocation between the U.S. and Taiwan. Um, and I, again, I know I said this when we talked about Nancy Pelosi possibly visiting a few weeks ago, and it was just me and Matt hosting. Um, you know, they uh, currently U.S. lawmakers and officials want to have the really the stance that they won't bow to China. That's kind of the stance they're taking, that they won't bow to anyone. But that's, again, the same stance that they kind of uh, yell at President Trump for having. So I, I find it very – I'm not surprised by anything that U.S. officials do anymore if it's hypocritical because a lot of the things they do are hypocritical. And if they said they're against it a few years ago and now they're doing it, now it's like, oh, that checks out a little bit. Because that you, it's just obviously you want to have good trade relations with people and good relations with different countries. But right now we're – it seems like we're not focusing on our relations with China um we're not fo we're focusing on our relations with uh, taiwan and china but we're not focusing on taiwan and china's relations because by all of us visiting and us being like well we're not going to bow to china we're making it a lot worse for taiwan and then you think of how much global interference there is in the united states already going into various conflicts and issues through there that it just brings about problems where you could have that where there's too much interference oh, yeah. uh, with global powers uh, but from the AP article uh, that was um, Lindsay had mentioned for the air, um, uh, oh my gosh, what do you call it? Um, exercises that were going drills. on. There we go. Um, it says the quote: the earlier drills appeared to be a rehearsal of a blockade or attack on Taiwan that would force the cancellation of commercial flights and disrupt shipping to Taiwan's main ports, as well as, as well as cargo passing through the Taiwan Strait, one of the world's busiest shipping lanes. Yes. So not only just implications for Taiwan itself, but on global supply chains and anything like that, which again has already been impacted because of the war in Russia and Ukraine with mm -hmm. all of the wheat uh, si shipments and things like that. Uh, that definitely has something it, to it it's just you know china claimed that it wanted to uh bring taiwan peacefully under its control but these military drills suggest that they're maybe no longer going to be peaceful if they ever attempt to bring taiwan back under their control and that has again huge global implications because we already see how supply chain and like affected us uh with the war in russia and ukraine and all the, the inflation that we went through personally um, and like all around the globe, it had major implications um, for all supply chains, inflation. Um, but if China attacks Taiwan and we sanction China, there goes another huge trade partner for us yep. and for the rest of the world. And that has like maybe in hindsight, maybe visiting Taiwan is making things worse right now. I, I would say so. I don't know. I don't know what real benefit there is. They did say they're working on, um, like you said, like kind of vested interest in semiconductors. I mean, granted, fine if you want to go work on that for trade, but maybe at a different time. I don't know if this is like the right area to go into it. Uh, but apparently um, there was the chair of the Taiwan legislature's foreign and national defense committee uh, who had said that the American visit, quote, uh, the American, quote, visit at this time is of great significance because the Chinese military exercise is intended to deter U.S. congressmen from visiting Taiwan. Um, pretty safe to say that's why they would be doing it. Um, but yes. definitely what what's really the interest that's at play here? And then. Also, how do these things happen when you go and visit foreign countries? You know, like obviously Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, had gone to go and visit Taiwan. But then you have this congressional delegation just kind of out of nowhere. Like I remember when they went to Ukraine the one time with yeah. a couple of legislators. You're like, how the heck did this happen? Like we never knew that was going to be the case. But like, oh, they're like they just kind of announced the trip. You're like, oh, OK, cool. Let's see what happens. Because it was over the weekend I'm looking for articles, and it's like, breaking news, lawmakers going to Taiwan after uh, Speaker Pelosi's visit. I'm like, the what? Like, yeah. You never would have known. A lot of politics is wait and see and surprises also. Um, so that's – it's fun studying it because you kind of – you're like, oh, I can predict this, and then something unpredictable happens. And you're like, mm, 
cool. Guess we're rolling with this now. <laughs> but then why, like, why this group of senators too? I know there was, yeah. uh, there was obviously um, Senator Markey from Massachusetts. There was three from California, if I remember correctly, and then uh, one delegate from American Samoa. As although they don't technically have um, voting legislation itself, they do have at least the right uh, to be in congressional representation. Uh, but it, you know, why, why in particular these people, if anything? I'm trying to look up exactly who visited. Um, so again, Senator Ed Markey, I can't read this fast, so maybe I will scrap this for now and look it up later. Um, but yeah, it's just now that they're announcing China is announcing new drills, it's obviously that we've, we've only made them more angry. We've made tensions worse right now, both for relations with us and China and, uh, China and Taiwan. Um, Why? You said they were meeting for semiconductors? Yeah, well, vested interests, which vested apparently interest. one of them was semiconductors. Um, which is cool. But I feel like if we notice that relations are getting tense, we could have that over a phone call. Maybe. Um, but I, listen, I, I chose a few years ago that I didn't want to go into a political field, didn't want to be a lawmaker. So I kind of stepped out of learning from that feed a little bit. So I, I can't tell you why they went over there. I can't even theorize why they went over there. Um, yeah, that's it's kind of a for I feel like for the general public, it's a big question mark as to why we're doing this. Yes, but it it is what it is. O- only time will tell how it goes if that's the case. Uh, otherwise, we're going to jump right into uh, Lindsay's report over here or story or I don't know what. Uh, it's it's a, sec- it's a little story. story. Um, All right. Well, tell us the story, Lindsay. What do we have? So we're kind of jumping back to the United States for a bit. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of issues coming up lately, um, both with critical race theory and uh, LGBTQ stories being taught in schools. Um, and a Louisiana school libra- librarian, Amanda Jones, is actually suing two men for defamation after they claim she wanted to keep, quote, pornographic books in libraries and called her a pedophile for wanting to keep LGBTQ plus books in her school's library. Now, this is a really big issue um, and one that I personally, it makes me very upset mm. because, first off, censorship is a huge issue. If you're censorshiping what people can read and people can learn, you're trying to c- control what they s- And we've seen censorship of books in many other countries before. I don't even have to talk about what I'm thinking about right oh, now. Oh, yeah. But censorship never means a good thing. No. It means that like, people are trying to control what you see and what you learn so you don't see the other side of things. Now, th- this was out of their parish, right? There was like a parish library or something yes. like that? Now, my first kind of quote here on the story my first thought is if you if you want to censor sexuality from children that means you're going to have to censor both homosexuality and heterosexuality you're gonna to have to censor both of them if it, it, across the board if you want to censor sexuality from children do all of it mm. you can't pick or choose one or the other um you you can't you can't indoctrinate people into sexuality either nope. it's kind of not how it works if you're either you're born a part of the heterosexual community or the homosexual community, it's just how you are. It's how you think. It's it's not you don't choose it. You don't get indoctrinated into it. It's just it's you. Mm. And if there's an issue of people indoctrinating other people into a different sexuality, it's wrong on both ends. That's true. Especially with like conversion therapy, like it doesn't exactly. it doesn't work. It only hurts more than it does. If someone has a child who is gay and they're forcing them into a heterosexual lifestyle, that's awful too. Yep. As well if someone is straight and someone's forcing them into a homosexual lifestyle. That's it's, wrong. It's something that's not them. And then you it's obviously have them. all those mental issues and things like that where they're going to have a lot of anxiety exactly. and all that from the, all those things. The mental health issues in, in the LGBTQ plus community are so rampant just because there are people who are forcing them to be someone they're not. Yep. Or people who don't accept the like parents who don't accept them, family members who don't accept them for who they are. And it's like there's nothing wrong. There's no wrong way to love someone. Absolutely not. There's no wrong way and I know people throw around the Bible all the time. Mm. I you can believe in what you believe in. 
And as you have the freedom to, you in have the freedom to yes. in America. You have the freedom to believe what you want, uh, preach what you want, love who you want. You have that right mm -hmm. right now, although it is being contested in the Supreme Court here and there. Um, but I don't think it should be because you, America, land of the free. You're supposed to be free, to be yourself. Yep. And not have any contentions. But we're we're going back to this library thing. Because after Amanda Jones, the librarian, went public with what these two men were calling her, she got over 200 other librarians who are facing similar issues. And I'm in, a, I'm in a, my little personal rant here, but it's more than 200 librarians that are facing this issue. Mm. There are so many librarians around the world, both in schools and just public libraries, who are facing a lot of backlash for wanting to just keep books Mm. in their libraries and i saw they uh i actually saw a tiktok last night which is really funny because it relates to this in the critical race theory part of things it's a, a history teacher he was getting ready he's spent about nine years teaching history he's getting ready for school to start in high school and all of his textbooks were removed from his class because they taught crit critical race theory dang and i was like that's crazy i was like critical race theory is not going to teach you to hate white people that's not what it's about it's teaching students honestly and genuinely what our past is as a, as the united states like what we did it seems like it just gets labeled something as it's not and i think yes. it's the same as you have with the books and whatnot so it's a lot of misinformation mm. spouted by people who don't want it to be taught and the reason they're spouting misinformation is because they've been fed misinformation yep and they've misinformation's a tricky hole to go down because then there's stuff like confirmation bias and you have tunnel vision. Oh, yeah. And like as soon as you get an idea in your head, like, oh, this is what's right. QAnon, ring a bell. I mean, that's. <laughs> you're very hesitant yeah. to see that you're actually wrong. Because then. You just want to think what you know is right. Yes, because yeah. then as soon as you, you start to deconstruct what you know, you realize, oh, what I, what I thought was the truth, what I thought was, you know, this, it wasn't. And you kind of have to go through another little self-discovery as a person. So it's really hard to get out of a cycle of misinformation, but it's dangerous. The people who want to censor these things are usually some of the people who want to keep government out of their lives. Mm. You know, small government, all that stuff. But they want to get themselves involved in other people's lives and control what they see. So it kind of, again, is a hypocritical type of thing. But you, censoring books is not the answer here and it's not going to solve anything other than making us not well informed i i just find it interesting because in, in this particular case at least obviously a lot of conservatives are really big on you know having that freedom of speech especially when it comes to stuff like social media and what they want to say through that so the fact that you can't provide that freedom to somebody else if you don't agree with that freedom doesn't make it you can't do it both ways absolutely it, and that's you know, there's a lot of hot topics when it comes to censorship. Mm. Like, it's, again, critical race theory, uh, the LGBTQ plus community, yep. and religion. Mm -hmm. Because we're the country of no religion also. We don't have any official governmental religion. We're not making you do anything. But people want to rule in a sort of Christian Catholic way yep. for our laws. But that goes against everything we, stand, we stood for as a country when we were first made. A country of no general religion. Mm. And I just find that it, it, all of this is just super interesting that they want to have the freedom to do what they want, but they don't want other people to have the same freedoms. Yep. It's crazy. I know at least for the um, the general stuff um, for the library suit itself, um, Jones Librarian, as you mentioned, she put at least in her like lawsuit and stuff for the um, – I don't know what you call a lawsuit. like the. It's uh, a lawsuit, yeah, defamation lawsuit. The lawsuit itself um, said that, quote, while book challenges are made with the best intentions and for age appropriateness, all library members have the First Amendment right to borrow, read, view, and listen to library resources, and that each family has the right to, right to determine which library resources are acceptable for their own children. Exactly. You know, I, I can't... I can't support people getting behind censorship in books. But I also can't control what parents want to do in their own private homes if they're people that don't, you know, support the LGBTQ community or critical race theory and they don't want the kids to read their material. Sadly, that's their choice and I can't control what they do. Mm. 
but on the same wavelength if i want to let my child read stuff about critical race theory and all religions and lgbtq plus books other people can't control what i want to show my child but you kind of think of it like this if you like go into a library and let's say they have like 50 different recipes for a um an old chicken alfredo or something mm -hmm. you know and it's like you don't agree with those 49 other recipes but that one recipe you do agree with you can just take out that book you need to take out those 49 other recipes you just exactly. get the one book that you're looking for if anything else you're not going to say oh the one supreme recipe for chicken alfredo is going to be that recipe and it must be the only one that is in this library no because there's different views different you, opinions you don't need Honest, and I, again, there's so much issues, both in books and movies now, because you see parents get up in arms when there's one lesbian kiss in a Disney movie. Yep. But personally, as a young person myself, who is part of the LGBTQ plus community, if I had saw representation of people like me when I was younger. It would have made a whole much easier for you. Yeah, it would have been easier for me to accept myself and who I am and like my own sexuality. And it's, it's not about indoctrinating kids into a sexuality. It's about showing people who are like them. Yep. Because they feel more accepted and like they have a place in society. And it's not marginalized. It's not weird. It's not something that's only seen rarely. And it's just, it's not about indoctrination. It's about acceptance. It's like, it's, it's, it's the same thing with like having different ethnicities in movies, right? It's not like all white actors and things like that. Because you want to have a varied representation yes. of people. That's all it ever is. That's all. It, you want to have people who represent you who look like you, who feel like you, who love like you. It's just about acceptance in the general scope of the world. And people are so up in arms about anything who doesn't look like them, speak like them, or love like them. Yeah, It's crazy. And it's crazy that these two men are going online and spouting false information about this woman they do not know just because she wants to be able to keep options open in her library yeah. for all different kinds of books. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And you, you, I don't know, you can't, you cannot censor books. Like, like she said in her quote, all library members have the first amendment right to borrow, read, view, and listen to library resources as they want. Yep. And you have the right to also not view them. If you don't yeah. want to look at them, don't, don't bother looking at it. You go to go Barnes and Noble, if you don't want to read something, you don't read it. You don't pick it up. Don't look at it. Don't, don't make it the Barnes and Noble's employee's issue. Nope. If you don't like the book, just take it home and be like, oh, I'm kind of upset that I saw that, but you know. I can't control what other people do. Nope. And that's that. That's that. And and that will be that, at least for what we have for now. We'll see how the lawsuit goes. I mean, we'll see how that, because yeah. she also said at the end of the article, like, if it takes three, if it takes five years, you know, I don't care as long as there's something yeah. that's done about this. But this is one of the first instances we've seen of a librarian actually fighting back, so... Hey, it might inspire more. Supreme Court ring a bell. If you get if you get enough and you have First Amendment cases, they take them all the time. They so, take I mean, them all hey. the time. We'll, uh, we'll see where this goes. Anyways, we are going to take a quick song break. Actually goes right into our final story of the day. Uh, so we will go and throw that on for you now. Well, I will say Lindsay was very reminiscent of that oh, yes. song by John Fogarty, Centerfield over there. Why? Why such the reminiscence? What was the? That uh, was uh, that was one of my dance recital songs. I danced for 13 years, and uh, we tap danced that song. We had little foam red baseball bats. We were all dressed up, doing a little. It was fun. It was fun. I always get nostalgic when I'm listening to a four more dance recital song. But. Wait. Speaking of baseball, Luke. Oh my gosh, yes, baseball, big baseball news, not in the professional sense, in the little league sense, always my favorite time of year. Um, and of course, Williamsport Bound is the local Massapequa team, uh, the Massapequa Coast Boys. They actually made it over to the Little League World Series just a few days ago. Uh, Joey Leonetti had thrown a no-hitter for nothing. Uh, against New Jersey for the so we had the whole border state going on over there for who was going to get a ticket to Williamsport. Uh, thankfully, the Long Islanders did on that sense, which was great oh, yeah. to see. Uh, a lot of the town had big pride for them, and it's always great uh, when that comes around, especially when it's a local team. Definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that's what, that's kind of what I put. Like when your favorite team in the professional league makes it to the World Series, you're like, oh, cool, sick, I'm really excited. But when a little league team makes it to the Little League World Series, like it's your hometown team. You just get an extra sense of hometown pride. Like, you maybe know these kids, you know their parents. You're like, yes, they did it. And just, the f again, the fact that he, he threw a no-hitter game 
impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. I know how you do it. You got to like stay under the pressure and all that. I mean, granted, Little League is six innings and isn't nine, but even so, like if you're a, you know, 11, 12 year old kid throwing a no hitter, like that's crazy. I remember when I was a little kid and I got the last out that I caught for a game and it was like bases loaded, like the last out. I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was enough, but gosh, throwing a no hitter, I couldn't even imagine. I can't, cannot imagine. I mean, even so. Sometimes a six inning game could last pretty long, depending on how it goes. Okay. Baseball has no time limits. No. Um, and it's just yeah, I love seeing little hometown pride, and a lot of the Long Island community is coming together for this in support of them, and I think that's really sweet. I know they were saying in the video like win or lose, uh, they would definitely be um, at least having a parade of sorts when yes. they all come back. Uh, I know they usually stay uh, over at, like, the main spot where it's only the players, right? The Mm -hmm. parents aren't even in the specific area. They get to go and hang out, make some new friends. And it really is a World Series. I know a lot of people, when they say, oh, you know, it's the baseball, you know, World Series for MLB, there's no world in that. It's the 30-whatever teams from the Major League Baseball. Uh But when you go to Little League World Series, it really is worldwide. Uh, Again, you have a lot of um, countries that do partake in that. Um, Speaking of which, Taiwan actually used to participate uh, as it's own spot, although it was also called Chinese Taipei to go and accommodate for China uh, when that was the time as well. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, they usually have sections for that. I know Mexico gets their own team. Japan gets wow. their own team. Uh, so definitely there's a lot of a lot just more. global representation world. there, which is good. Yes, world is much more emphasized. More world in the World Series. Which is, which is good to see there. But have you ever watched the World Series at all? Did, not the, sorry, the Little League World Series, I For should say. For Little League? No, I've never watched I didn't even know it was a thing until I heard, I was actually engineering a Ducks game for WRHU when Massapequa won. Um, and I was like, oh, cool, because the play-by-play announcers announced it during the Ducks broadcast. And I was like, oh, sick. Um, and it was uh, – I've never watched the Little League World Series, but I might now. Oh, it's definitely a lot of fun. I remember uh, some of my favorite highlights, uh, Monet Davis, who was a really big sensation during the Little League World Series. Um, there is the Little League World Series softball. Usually girls do play in that, but girls and boys can partake in the baseball one at least. Nice. Um, so it's definitely really good to see. Um, she was actually, oh, I forgot, I think, I think it was Pennsylvania, if I remember correctly, Monet Davis. Uh, and she actually threw a no-hitter during the Little League World Series, oh, which was really cool to see. And then I know... Um, uh, Dave Belial, I think his name was. He was the coach for Rhode Island, and like they lost a really, really bad game in a playoff, and he made like this motivational speech and all that, and that was a really big moment. Um, Todd Frazier, actually, who was a former Yankee and met, and I, I think he's, he's still in baseball somewhere, um, but I know he had actually hit a really uh, momentous occasion when uh, Tom's River, New Jersey, had gone on uh, to win the Little League World Series, which is huge. So even then, baseball players who could turn pro there and actually go on from the Little League World Series to Major League Baseball still remember those moments no matter yeah. what. And it's just because you never forget, like, getting to your big championship during a Little League game. Like, that's a, that's a huge deal. Like, I mean, for the pro teams, they maybe have a few World Series on their belts here or there. Like, they've won before, they've gotten it before. But for, like, Little League, you never forget the first time you go to a big world championship like this. And it's probably your only time. You yeah. really don't get a lot of more opportunities after that. And, hey, they get to be on TV. Who yeah. doesn't like to be on TV? Exactly. It's kind of like WRHU winning a Marconi. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, just going, going for a fourth one maybe in October. We'll see. But, but like, especially for what is it, the people that are in now. Like, the last Marconi was won in 2019 before my class was even in college. Yeah. So, like, fingers crossed. We're hoping. That would that'd be Because that'd be really cool. That'd be something I won't um, forget. It's, it's my last chance. You know, senior year's yeah. coming up. I mean, it'd be nice to get one. Um, I know we got those three out there. We're looking for that fourth. Looking for that fourth. Well, I'll let you know in October. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, William Patterson University, good for you in New Jersey for winning last year. Oh, uh, yes. Definitely a plus for that. Uh, good and, to get. But at least the award show is in person this year. I remember watching it on the computer in our operations manager's office uh, this past year. But now this year, I get to go to the Marconi Awards. Let's go. That is that in Vegas? Is that? Nope. They're holding it in New York City this oh, year. Oh, okay. Where, where in the city? Uh... I need to check again on that one, but you know they could hold it anywhere in all of the country, and they uh, they held it in New York, so hey, why not? You know. But at least it's close. I don't need to take a train or a plane or anything like that. Well, I probably will take a train, because um, I don't want to drive into the city. It's no. kind of a nightmare. But uh, yeah, so again, just congratulations to the little team. Woo! That's so 
That's so exciting. So they're playing, I believe, either the West or Northwest um, yes. winner in that. So you have to see. Uh, they won't know their opponent until this upcoming Wednesday. Okay. Because uh, that's when the uh, West and Northwest regional yeah. game is played. Um, so I guess they're kind of just holding their breath and seeing who they're playing for. Probably doing a lot of celebrating because I cannot imagine what it feels to be like, I'm going to the Little League. That's so cool. Well, they were already traveling because they, they had the game in Connecticut because mm-hmm. the regional for that is at the ESPN complex up there. Wow. In uh, in Bristol. And then they go. They went from there to Williamsport for Pennsylvania, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah. Also, how would you – wait a minute. But you lived in Pennsylvania for how long? The Little League World Series has never kind of – Listen, my family – Never really watched sports. Ah. My, we were a music household and a dance household. Okay, and that was pretty much it. Now, how how far is Williamsport from you from Easton? Uh, you know what, Luke? I gotta check that right now. Hey, you could you can go. I mean, hey, you could you could watch the little little depending on what it is. Yeah, I can yeah. just take some friends. Let's see, Williamsport, uh, Lycoming County. That sounds familiar. Pennsylvania. Don't please mind. hold. Please please hold as I type because I'm really not good at spelling either, so it, it takes a little bit of time for L- me. Lindsay, to... Lindsay is ways today. We're going to see how uh, how far eastern Pennsylvania to Williamsport is. I love I love the Ways app. I, did you just did you mention the Ways no, app? No, uh, oh, Ways is My great. Favorite. No, I was on – I watched a CBS, like, info um, thing one time for, like, the tech show, or, like, early morning a number of years ago. And it was when the app first started. Yeah. And I remember it. I'm like, Mom, you got to get this app. Oh, my gosh. They have all these map capabilities. And so I, like – and it was free, obviously. So I'm like, I'll just download it. Uh, and, yeah, I think I got it, like, 2012, 2013 it must have been. So it was a long time ago. But, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had it for a while. I like it a lot. I like that you can – really customize who's speaking to you. I currently have um, a boy band setting, so my directions are sung to me, actually. Um, I Make went to a Google lift Maps. at the turn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, do, we, do we have any? Uh... We're getting there. Oh, it's three. Oh, Pennsylvania. It's three hours from here. So judging on that, it's probably an hour away from my house since I'm two hours from here. Yeah, it's looking to be about an hour away from oh, where I live. Oh, No. Not too bad at all. It's in uh, central PA, more towards that area. Uh, but it looks about an hour, 45 minutes from Scranton, which is where the show The Office is set in. There we go. I love that I didn't know that The Office was hosted in Scranton um, until they mentioned it on the show. Um, I don't really know how I missed that when the it literally sign has the, opening, the sign yeah. in the opening. Um, but then you kind of pick up on all. Fun fact, did you know that Hofstra is actually mentioned? In the office? Actually, no. What? So I've watched it so many times, I kind of picked up on this. So Andy Bernard, when he first comes to the Scranton branch, is talking to Michael and really is trying to be friends with Michael. Mm -hmm. And anyone who watches The Office knows that Andy Bernard is a proud Cornell graduate. Yes. Um, And so he's trying to get Michael to hang out. And he goes, "Uh, Cornell versus Hofstra tonight, total blowout. For the football team, back when Hofstra still had football. Dang. So I kind of, I think The Office influenced a lot of aspects of my life in that they have a lot of Wegmans references, and Wegmans was my first ever, Wegmans is a grocery store chain that does not exist here on Long Island, but they're getting a branch soon uh, out in Suffolk County. There's a Wegmans coming to Long Island. We go. Um, So that was my first ever job, and Hofstra is the college I'm going to, so I think they kind of influenced me in ways I didn't really notice. Um, But that's that's okay. I'm happy where I am. Yeah. Well, otherwise, I think we're going to leave it be today. Any any uh, thing for the week? Anything we got going on? I'm going home this week. Hey, Tuesday through go. Thursday, uh, I'm going to be home visiting. I'm going to bring my cat back to Long Island, so I'm really excited about that. Ooh, okay. I'm going to visit my hometown. I'm bringing a few friends from the radio station down to kind of show them around what Easton is and you know, kind of what a, a normal hometown looks like and not not long island but yeah i went yeah. i went around a little bit i know we definitely saw the crayola factory like we didn't go in because we were just doing like drive-by yeah. stuff and like i think lafayette college was nearby yeah over there. lafayette yeah. college is right down there yeah so we it's a, like there's a hill and all that like it's a very hilly campus it looks like right. yeah there's yeah. surprising there's hills in places there's i remember i was sitting on the 10th floor of our library here and i looked straight out to new york city and i was like there are no hills on long island whatsoever that's so because we live Easton is in a valley. Yeah. We're in the Lehigh Valley, so there's hills all around us. <laughs> there you go. Well, nevertheless, we are going to leave you be. Have a good week, everybody. We will see you and hopefully Matt when he comes back uh, for next week. Otherwise, see you around and have a good one.